0: Hello, I want to welcome you to the Point Church Alberta Campus Sunday Preaching Podcast. My name is Josh Heisler, and I'm the Alberta Campus Pastor. We strongly believe in the expositional preaching of God's Word, which works to build our faith and grow us up in Christ. Our prayer is that this message will be a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join us as we get to the point. Take your Bible and turn to Colossians chapter 3. We'll get there in just a minute. Thank you, Josh, for the kind words. None of them are true, but thank you. Uh, So I I really appreciate it. Um, I got to meet Brother Josh and Miss Tama and his kids, I think it was about seven years ago. Uh, We had just left our church uh, where we had been serving, and one of the first people we met was uh, Josh and Tama. Such good, good people. Got into a great Sunday school class over there at the Point Perdido and just saw Josh um, exposit the word uh, it was so refreshing for us. Uh, it was exactly what we needed at the time that we needed. Um, the Lord has an amazing way of putting people in front of you that is just for that very time in your life. And so I really, really appreciate uh, Pastor Josh, Ms. Tama, and their kids. Um, so today we're going to be talking a little bit about the title of the message is called The New Religion. I'm not a huge fan of the word religion, but James in uh, chapter 1 really does use that word as we saw from our, from our scripture reading. James says there, uh, and we're going to reference James here in just a second, James says, if, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction to keep oneself unstained from the world. James states that the pure religion is one that bridles his tongue, visits orphans and widows, and keeps himself unstained, unstained from the world. I thought about that phrase quite a bit over the last week or two as I was preparing for this message. You know, Christians have spent far too much time being stained by the world, It's not just here in 2020. It's been an issue for Christianity ever since the founding of Christianity. Clearly, the early church had an issue with this, so much so that Paul took time here in Colossians chapter 3 that we're going to get to in just a second. He mentions it here in James, um, 1 Peter chapter 1. uh, Peter talks about this very issue about being stained by the world. Scripture clearly says that we, as Christians, need to not be stained by the world. As we look at Col- the book of Colossians, we're going to see a couple things. Uh, Colossians, look at Colossians chapter 3, verse number 5. I don't have that up on the screen, but look there in Colossians 3, verse 5. Scripture says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Look down at verse 8. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So you see James chapter 1 and Colossians 3 are kind of hand-on-hand. Kind of hand. James is saying we shouldn't be stained by the world, and here Paul is saying, hey, put this stuff away. We as Christians need to stop being stained by the world, and we need to follow the new religion. So we're going to look here at Colossians chapter 3, verse number 12, let's go ahead and let's read through the scripture. Out of respect for the Lord, reading of the word, let's stand together as we read Colossians chapter 3, verse number 12. Scripture says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let us pray. Lord, I ask you just be with us now as we look at your word. Take your word, help us, guide us, mold us so that we can be more like you at the end of the day, living out the gospel. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated the Christians to follow this new religion. We are to stay unstained from the world. So let's examine some things that we should put on, as Paul says, put on those things. Let's examine those things and see how we can practice the new religion. Let's look at the first thing, the new mindset found here in verse number 12. Scripture says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. We saw a little bit earlier about some of the things that are part of the wicked mindset. Paul mentions those earlier in verse 5 and verse 8 that we just covered. And look here what he says, though, about us. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones. What a refreshing thought. God has chosen us. I'm holy, I'm beloved, I'm chosen by God. Early in my life, when I was about three or four years old, my my birth mom had um, some mental health issues. She was constantly in and out of the hospital uh, for weeks and weeks at a time, uh, suffering from depression and schizophrenia. It was at that time when I was three or four years old, my aunt and uncle through the courts and everything, decided to choose me and, be ado- and adopt me into their family. Yeah. It's nice to be chosen. I tell my, my brother and sister, I, I, I don't call my aunt and uncle. I've been, I've been with them for you know, 37 years now. It's mom and dad. And my, my brother and my sister, who are really my cousins, don't try to figure that out. It's not an Alabama thing. It really is <laughs> true. Um, my, my brother and sister, I said, you know, mom and dad had you. They chose me. And it's such a great thing to be chosen by God. And as Christians, we are adopted. As Brother Josh said earlier, we are adopted by God. We have been chosen. Some people feel that they might be worthless. They're told they're not wanted. They're told that they can't do anything right. I'm encouraged by the fact that God has chosen me. He has considered me holy and beloved. It's because of that fact that I should have a new mindset. It's interesting to note that the significant measure of our Christian life is found simply in how we treat people. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Put on that compassionate heart. I thank the Lord for that compassion my aunt and uncle showed me 37 years ago when they adopted me. I thank God that my brother and my sister-in-law adopted two boys who would have been wards of the state if it hadn't been for the compassion that they had shown. An act of compassion can go such a long way to make a world of difference in somebody's life. Food distribution, disaster relief, maybe simply stopping what you're doing, coming alongside somebody, taking a little bit of time out of your day and showing somebody just a little bit of love. Having a compassionate heart. Say, I'm here for you. You're important to me. Show kindness. Ephesians says, Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Have humility, meekness, we could talk of, for, for probably hours on each of those topics. And unfortunately, I think everybody wants to get to uh, the Roadkill Cafe be, you know, before, before noon today. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to hasten on. But we, we need to make sure that we understand the importance of that new mindset. Showing compassion to the orphan who has no one. Showing compassion to the widow or the widower who may have just lost their best friend to covid Demonstrate kindness to the person who's giving you a hard time on the job site. Live a life that is humble and meek. Be patient when things don't go your way. We need to take off our, unst- our, our stained garments and put on something new. So first, we're going to put on the new mindset. Number two, we are going to put on a new tolerance Look at verse 13 there. Scripture says, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Much has been said about tolerance in this day and age. We're told to tolerate different lifestyles, we're told to tolerate um, sins in people's life. But I'll tell you right now, Scripture never tells us to tolerate sinful behavior. Scripture doesn't say that we need to tolerate sinful actions or heresy. But you know who we're supposed to be tolerant of? We're supposed to be tolerant of one another. I have been to churches where I have seen relatives in the church not talk to one another because of something that was said or something that was done. They go about their their daily business in their church ignoring one another because of sin and unforgiveness and spite. That ought not be in the church of God. We need to forgive. I'm reminded of the, of the passage in Scripture in Matthew. If you've got your, your Bible, turn over to Matthew 18. We're going to look at something real quick. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, verse number 21. It's not me. Matthew 18, verse 21. Peter comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? And many of you probably know this story that Jesus is telling. And Jesus says to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. This is a lot of money. Uh, Some have said that it is several million dollars, but this man owed this king a lot of money. When he began to settle, um, uh, he he owed 10,000 talents. Verse 25, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. And the servant falls on his knees and gets before the king and starts begging. He says, Have patience with me, I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. Hey, everything's happy, everything's great. But what happens later in the story? But when that saved servant went out, verse number 28, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. Some say that that could be about $20, not not a lot of money. And seizing him, he began to choke him and saying, pay what you owe me. I can see him just grabbing him by the collar and just yanking him and saying, hey, pay up. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. His master, verse 32, summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers. We need to have that new tolerance found in verse 13. Bearing with one another. If one is a complaint against another, forgiving Each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Forgive as God has forgiven you. Have you stopped and thought about that phrase? Forgive as God has forgiven you. I want you to close your eyes and just imagine. I'm going to play a little game here. Imagine the worst sin you have done in your life I don't want to start naming sins I told people earlier I was going to preach on certain people's sins today I'm not going to do that but you know your sin in your life I want you to think maybe it's a sin you've done more than once maybe you might think wow if anybody found out what I've done I'd be done for and here's what I want you to think God forgave you for that. God took time and forgave you for that. You can look this way. You can stop your imagining. God forgave you for that sin. As wicked as it was, as terrible as it was, God forgave you. Have you ever stopped to think about how God forgives in comparison with the way we forgive? God forgives so completely, so totally. It's amazing to see. God reaches out to bad people to bring forgiveness to them. Our habit is only to reconcile if they reach out to us. God makes the first move towards us when it comes to forgiveness. Our habit is to only be reconciled if they crave forgiveness and beg us to forgive them. God forgives knowing that we'll sin again but so help me if somebody comes and they've sinned sinned on us more than once. Like, hey, you know what? Fool me once. God's forgiveness is so complete and glorious. He grants adoption to the sinful offender. Our habit is not to restore the person or lift them up to their former status. Hey, you were my best friend before, but so help me, look what you did was so unforgivable. I can't, I can't, I can't do that. What does God do? He adopts us. He calls us sons. He calls us children. That's how total God's forgiveness is. God bore all the penalty for the wrong that we did against him. Our habit, when we are wronged, we won't forgive unless the offender agrees to make payment for the wrong that they've done. God paid for our own forgiveness. And we're like, hey, you know what? You messed my boat up. You saw what you did. You backed your truck right into my boat. It's totally ruined. Unless you pay up, I will not forgive you. That's how we are. God keeps reaching out to us for reconciliation again and again and again and again. And when we refuse them again and again, our habit, we don't offer reconciliation again and again. We're not ones that go to the people and say, look, hey, let's get this right. Let's get this right. Like, hey, you know what? They don't want anything to do with me. I'm just going to turn around. They can just go their way. I'm going to go mine. Is that not true? Isn't that the way that the Christian is? God requires no probationary period to receive his forgiveness. Our habit's not to restore an offender without that period of probation. Hey, you know, let's see how this works for the next couple weeks. Let's see how our relationship is. No, God forgives. It's a total forgiveness. God's forgiveness offers complete restoration and honor. It's our habit to feel that we should be complimented when we merely tolerate those who sin against us. Once having been forgiven, God puts his trust in us and invites us back to work with him as a co-laborer. He has forgiven us so totally. He says, hey, not only do I, I forgive you, I want you to come alongside me. Let's work together and let's continue on with the mission of the gospel. How is it for us? Oh, man. I'm not going to trust you anymore. I'm going to keep my eye on you. My friend, here in Colossians chapter 3.13, 3, 13, it says, with one another if one has a complaint against another forgive each other as the lord has forgiven you all should make us humble to think of how the lord has forgiven us he's restored us he's adopted us he's pulled says come along with me come do this mission of of the gospel with me that's how we should forgive David Guzik says, when we consider the staggering debt Jesus forgave for us and the comparative smallness of the debts owed towards us, it's base in gratitude for us not to forgive people. Number one, we need to have that new mindset. Number two, the new tolerance. Number three, let's look at verse 14. We need to have the new love. Verse 14, Scripture says, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be ye thankful. You know, our society has corrupted love. Love is anything you want it to be now. Love of self is more important than anything else is the way society thinks. But Paul says to the Christian, Above all these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I know for all you older older people, sorry. (laughs) For all you older people in the room, you might be familiar with a song by Captain and Tennille. It's called Love Will Keep Us Together. Any of you guys recognize the song? All right. I'm not going to say anything, all right? (laughs) But, But that's the truth of it. It's a biblical principle. Love is what binds us together in perfect harmony. It keeps us together. This echoes the new mindset we spoke about earlier. Love the poor. Love the widow. Love the orphan. Love the unlovable. Love the unloving. It's so easy for us to ignore people that we don't see I appreciate that video that we had earlier today that showed those orphans in their place. Uh, I remember as a, as a young kid in the in the 1980s <laughs> and you would see the the videos of the, the it, for us it was the starving Ethiopian children and you'd be compelled to move even as a kid it's like how can these kids go without food? And you'd want to do something because that need was put before you. And here, like I said, I'm so thankful for that video because it shows that there is a need out there. There are people, there are children that have no fathers or mothers and need somebody just to love them. It's so easy for us to ignore those those needs that we don't see. That's why I'm glad that this church is one that gets out into the community. This church does amazing things in the community. The partnership that you guys have with other organizations, uh, I could start naming them, but I'd probably forget them. But this church is all about showing love to this community of Alberta. This church doesn't isolate itself in a bubble and hope the problem in the community just goes away. It is there because it wants to show and demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ to this area and surrounding areas. It is truly the love that keeps us together and binds us together in perfect harmony. I think that's why this church has grown explosively. I, I was part of a church a, a, a while ago that, that the, the growth was like this, and it just started going down and down and down and down and down this church in, uh, it's two years now, right? Or three? Three. Three years. This church started with a tiny group of people. It has grown. It is packed in here. I don't know what the capacity of this new auditorium is, but I would venture to say it was pretty full. You know why? The simple act of love. Showing that new love. I think this church definitely embodies it. Let's look in verse sixteen. Verse sixteen here. Scripture says, and we're, we're going to look at the new worship. Verse sixteen, Scripture says, "Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God." There's a lot right there in that just that one verse. We're going to try to unpack it real quick. Um, Worship with the Word of God. I'm so thankful that this church, when we sing worship songs, so much of it is Scripture based. It's um, uh, not—I'm not going to get into that—but it's—it's not other things. It is Scripture. It is worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. Arthur Peake says the word of Christ is to dwell in people so richly that it finds spontaneous expression in religious song in the Christian assemblies or the home. Worship with the word of God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. God's word, let it find a place in your heart. Let it get buried deep in there. I, as a kid, I grew up uh, with the AWANA program. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Some of you might be. Uh, AWANA stands for approved workmen or not ashamed. But one of the foundations of that AWANA program was learning scripture. And it has been such a comfort for me, such a uh, a way for me to, to be able to just memorize and, and understand Scripture. I, re, I've, I memorized a lot of the, the Scriptures in the King James Version, so if, if that pops out, I'm, I'm not going to apologize, but it, it's such a part of me because I have taken time as a child to learn those Scriptures. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. It is a richness to you that you will not... If if people don't have anything, you know what they do want? You know what provides them riches? It's the word of God. Stories of of people in prison camps, they they crave for just one sheet of the word of God because it provides them richness in their times of trials. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. Worship by teaching others the scriptures and admonishing them in all wisdom. (laughs) I love leading worship. I love teaching. Um, Honestly, I think I learn more that way. I don't know if if any of you have ever taught or or, uh, preached. I find that I learn more about a subject because I've got to really get into it to make sure that the people understand. And so I just love admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, admonishing others, we're to teach other people and admonish others in all wisdom. An admonishment is a gentle rebuke. There are some preachers that they don't do the gentle rebuke. They'll take the word of God and they'll bang it over people's heads and they will slay them with the sword of the spirit. Um, that's not the way it's supposed to work. An admonishment is a gentle correction. Just say, hey, you know what? This is the way we're supposed to be going. That's the way we need to teach people. Admonish one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns, spiritual songs with with thankfulness. Songs are a great way for worship. You know, I enjoyed the worship this morning. Great job, Brother Nathan. Really appreciate it. Songs that are are scripture-based, we we talked about that already. Um, So we we need to realize that we also need to have that new worship. And then I'm going to close with this, the new actions, verse 17. Look in verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Live for Christ. Do everything to glorify Him. You aren't that old person any longer. You're not following that old religion. You're following the new religion. You're, you're not going to be stained by the, by the world any longer. You're going to act the new way. That's what Christ wants for us. That old us would do things for selfish reasons. The new person following the new religion does things for family. The old us would do things to lift ourselves up with pride. The new us does things to lift up others. The old us would do things that would promote our agendas. The new person following that new religion works to promote the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The old us would do things to hedge our bets, benefit us, or gain us favors. The new us is the one that doesn't care about any of that. The new us does everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. George Mueller was not always a person of great faith and good character. As a young boy growing up in Germany in the the early 1800s, he often stole money from his parents. Not only did he steal money as a teenager, he snuck out twice uh, from a hotel without paying. In Bible college, he would go to bars, gamble, drink, He was put into jail a couple times. He loved making fun of people, especially Christians. One day, a friend invited George Mueller to go to a Bible study. And George Mueller uh, went, heard the gospel, and saw people living out the gospel. These people were so compassionate. They were so unstained from the world. He attended one evening, and finally he had a saving faith. In Jesus Christ. He knelt at his bed and asked God to forgive his sins. And the Lord graciously saved him. And the spirit began to work miraculous things in his life. George's friends saw a change in him immediately. He no longer wanted to go to the bars. He no longer wanted to make fun of the Christians. He spent more time reading his Bible. Talking to God and going to church. His life had been completely changed and filled with that new religion. In fact, uh, George Mueller was one that embodied James chapter 1, where he was one that took care of the orphans. For those of you that don't know this famous missionary, he cared for more than 10,000 orphans through his life. And you know how he supported them? He didn't have great... uh, uh, benefactors or anybody that would... He didn't dabble in the stock market even though his previous life was fill, filled with gambling. He didn't gamble to support 10,000 orphans. You know how he supported 10,000 orphans? Prayer. It was the only thing. There are stories of George Mueller. He, he, he's sitting at the breakfast table. They have the, him and the orphans have no breakfast whatsoever. And all of a sudden, a milk cart crashes out front of the orphanage and the... The driver comes in and says, hey, you know what, this, this milk cart just crashed. Uh, it's gonna go bad. I need somebody to take it. Do you know anybody that's gonna be able to, to use this milk? George is like, yes, me. Instances like that where George Mueller would pray, he took care of so many orphans. And you know why? It's because he embodied that new religion. He didn't wanna be stained by the world. He wanted himself unspotted by the world. He followed that new mindset. He followed the new tolerance, the new love, the new worship, and the new actions. My friend, if you're here today, I encourage you. Let's stop being stained by the world and let's put on this new religion. Let's live for the Lord Jesus Christ and carry out his mission of the gospel. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast from The Point Church. If you would like more information about our church or if you have any questions, you can find us online at tothepoint.church.